Hello, everybody, and welcome to the American Shoreline Podcast. This is Peter Ravella, co-host of the show. And this is Tyler Buckingham, the other co-host. Tyler, one of the great pleasures of starting Coastal News today in the American Shoreline Podcast Network back in uh, uh, late 2018 is the community of people that we have had the privilege uh, of working with, uh, particularly on ASPN and all of the great hosts of shows on our network who really bring the coastal conversation and coastal issues to life for our listeners. Uh, Today's a little bit of a sad day because we're here to talk about the loss of one of our great hosts on ASPN, uh, Thane Tinson from Portland, Oregon, who co-hosted the Changing Waters podcast with Brad Warren. And we're going to talk about Thane today, his work and contribution to coastal America and uh, it's a sad show, but a really worthy show to do because Thane was an incredible guy and an incre- incredible friend to Coastal News Today and ASPN and, and a personal friend. So I'm really looking forward to sharing with our audience more about Thane Tinson. I am uh, as well, Peter, and one just cannot help but think of the legacy that Thane leaves behind uh, on the coast, on the American shoreline. Uh, in in the ocean with regard to the his his life's work uh, protecting the environment uh, doing fisheries stuff uh, working with uh, Native American tribes and whatnot I mean this guy has an amazing yeah list of accomplishments and we were so fortunate and lucky to uh, share his voice on the American Shoreline podcast network so uh yeah it's a bittersweet show today ladies and gentlemen but uh i think you'll enjoy learning about this amazing amazing coastal citizen uh named thane tinson but before we get into it we'll have a quick word from our sponsors the american shoreline podcast network and coastalnewstoday.com are brought to you by lja engineering with 28 offices along the gulf coast the folks at lja engineering are at the top of the craft in the areas of coastal restoration coastal infrastructure, rivers and channels, numerical modeling, disaster recovery, and design and construction oversight. Be sure to check out their brand new Coastal Resilience Department, headed up by ASPN's own Peter Ravella. Find them at lja.com. Be sure to subscribe to the Coastal News Today Daily Blast newsletter at coastalnewstoday.com for daily updates on the events and news that shape the coastal discussion. Want to support the discussion and promote your company? We have sponsorship packages available now. Email me to learn more at chloe at coastalnewstoday.com. That's C-H-L-O-E at coastalnewstoday.com. Hope to hear from you and enjoy the show. Well, as we jump into this show, I just want to remind folks a little bit about Thane's background before we dive into remembrance and a memorialization of him. Thane was an attorney in Portland, Oregon for decades, graduating from Lewis and Clark Law School, my alma mater as well, although he was about 10 years ahead of me. Uh, Thane practiced with Landy Bennett and Bloomstein in Portland, Oregon for decades. Uh, he was from the great city of Astoria, Oregon, uh, at the mouth of the Columbia River. Uh, Thane was uh, Thane was up there in years. He, you know, he served in the Army, two Purple Hearts from the Vietnam War, uh, an attorney. And in, even though he was in his 70s, Thane was still training for marathons and running marathons and ran every, almost every day. An amazing physical being, I got to say. Uh, a real focus in his life on fisheries rights, indigenous tribals, tribal rights in the Pacific Northwest. He practiced widely in Washington, Oregon, and Portland. Uh, an incredibly politically active man, uh, just a real renaissance person with broad interest, incredibly intelligent, just one of the favorite people I've ever met in my life. So uh, we're going to be talking about Thane with a couple of really important people that can really help us uh, really delve deep and understand Thane's, I think, life. Uh, Joining us today on the American Shoreline podcast is Greg Tozian, a journalist and author and playwright uh, and a longtime personal friend of Thane Tinson's. He is the uh, digital strategist for Big Brand Stories and is currently working on a sci-fi trilogy, which is going to pop into the world with great uh, a plume, I am sure. So I'm looking forward to Greg's latest 
release of, uh, of that series. And also joining us is Brad Warren. And Brad is the president of, and co-founder of the National Fisheries Conservation Center. He's joining us from Seattle. Greg is joining us from Tampa, Florida. Uh, Brad has had a special and close working relationship with Thane through the National Fisheries Conservation Center, and they co-hosted the Changing Waters podcast on ASPN. So two of the closest professional friends and personal friends of Thane's are with us today, and I'm really looking forward to talking about uh, Thane's contribution to the world. You know, Brad, uh, if if you wouldn't mind if we started with you and, and if you would just talk a little bit about Thane's work uh, on the waterfront of America up there in the Pacific Northwest. Sure, happy to do it um, and proud to. Uh, Thane uh, was uh, with a big heart on the waterfront and uh, among people who were getting stepped on, uh, among uh, tribes, among uh small-time fishermen who were getting uh, really, uh, in some cases, scapegoated by bigger industrial interests who uh, wanted their own crimes against the salmon uh, forgotten uh, and uh, did their best to blame fishermen. There are many of these cases that he took on, often on a pro bono basis, and it it, it was one of those that first drew my attention to him. We'll get to that in a little bit. But uh, before I knew him, I met him in 93, but uh, before I knew him, he was uh, helping uh, to uh, get women uh, who work at sea on fishing vessels uh, some protection uh, under law and then later making sure that the law was enforced. Uh, uh, they, they mandated reporting of sexual assaults and uh, this was a major piece of work and Mossness and others worked really hard on this. And uh, it, was, it, it required a kind of warriorship. Uh, and they uh, they worked together well on that. Uh, they made some real ground. There's still more work to do. Uh, in uh, in '93, I met him shortly after he uh, was one of several attorneys uh, who won a, a, a kind of landmark case on the Columbia River. Uh, again, as a pro bono volunteer attorney uh, for a uh, small boat fishing association out of Astoria, his hometown, uh, and uh, helping tribes as well. Uh, who uh, big industrial interests that use a lot of hydropower from the river uh, wanted fishing shut down under the Endangered Species Act so that they, as factory owners, could continue to profit from uh, the biggest salmon killing practice on the river, which is controlling the river flows to maximize hydropower production at the expense of fish. Uh, This kills millions of salmon on their way to the sea and back every year. And up they um, uh, they won a federal ruling in, in the court of Judge Malcolm Francis Marsh, who swatted down the industrialists uh, with this line that's been quoted many, many times, saying, quote, to permit these plaintiffs to proceed with their claims under the ESA would be akin to permitting the fox to complain that the chickens have not been fed. Uh, it was just, it was, it, it was a classic. Uh, so I met him shortly after this, and I, I'll, I'll describe the scene later, uh, but uh, he, he became uh, instantly, I had the sense I was watching a brilliant litigator talking about what he was doing. People were uh, really moved by this decision. And um, I mean, it was a, a standing up for justice against the powerful interests. Uh, and uh, uh, he, he really had uh, kind of the air of a guy who knew how to wield a broadsword in court. Uh, and he did it with a great heart, uh, not with viciousness, but with kind of a, a determination to get justice. Um, he also uh, became one of the first people we recruited to the Board of National Fisheries Conservation Center when we started it in 94. Uh, and in that role, he stayed <laughs> to the end of his life. Uh, he was a long-serving, patient, and generous man. Uh, quite a mentor. I, I, I felt many times like I had uh, stumbled into a, a, an unknown older brother uh, who uh, just taught me a lot. Uh, he, uh, One of the things that he did in our organization, uh, which is a collaborative problem-solving organization, pr- really promoting solutions that allow people often who are part of the problem to become the solution. That's a core part of the axiom. And 
it, it, we would come to situations now and then where the board would look at things and say, well, this is a mess. Everyone's just fighting and calling names. It's not going to work. There's no opportunity for collaboration here. Should we find a way to use litigation? Every time, Thane, the, the brilliant litigator, Thane, was the one who said, no, don't do it. Uh, he knew what it cost. He knew the limits. He knew how so many problems that are really high conflict, difficult problems, you don't get there by suing people. You get there by working with them. And, you know, for a guy who it's, it's kind of like it takes a warrior to make peace. Uh, he knew his he knew his game. Uh, among the things he did in that period, shortly after that, he became the founding director of the West Coast Seafood Processors Association. Uh, the seafood processors had essentially no organization to represent them, no coherent voice. And he suggested that they could, should create one so that they could function uh, with a, a degree of, uh, you know, organization and unity. Uh, and he ran it and got it started in the beginning. Uh, and uh, I think it's fair to say he was an ardent Democrat his whole life, very much an up-with-the-little-guy liberal. And uh, the seafood processors... Uh, lean pretty hard to the right then i mean they're 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 not very many democrats in the senior ranks and um i, I think they they always felt like they should be, be playing their their own cards on that one and so it wasn't the best fit politically but they exist because of him and they they remember him even now i've heard some of them saying they were grateful that his work to help them get started um Thane, uh, in 2004, was one of several attorneys who won another landmark case on the Columbia River uh, that uh, reached, I believe, far further. There's a lot about this I'm still learning, but um, the, uh, they persuaded the EPA uh, to uh, set thermal water quality standards to protect salmon and other aquatic organisms. And the issue, uh, and it's a, it's a big one, is that not only do you have climate change, you have these dams on the river that create these sun-heated slack water pools behind the dams that heat up in the sun every summer and reach temperatures that just flat kill fish. They kill them by the millions, at, again, at the beginning and end of their journey to sea. And that um, uh, that's a, a, it's both an amplifier of the, of the global warming signal and it's its own major cause of huge salmon mortality. And, you know, growing up in a fishing town, having worked in the plants on the waterfront of the kid, I think he might have been a deckhand when he was young. Uh, he was like, no, you don't get to wipe out this resource. That's not okay. And it's still an ongoing effort. There's a, there's a tremendous amount of work to get this control on the overheating of the river in these sun-heated pools. Uh, but it's a, it's a big uh, uh, step toward recognizing that if we if we want to have clean water, uh, and we yeah, obviously we do, and we want we want living things in our world to persist, we have to maintain the kind of thermal and chemical parameters they need. Uh, in in the last few years, Thane got very active with a group that it was not part of something we were involved in, but uh, with folks who were very critical of the shellfish farming industry, and they won. I think he was maybe a pro bono to them. I don't know the details of this. Uh, they won a case that uh, uh, essentially blocked uh, the issuance by the Corps of Engineers of a nationwide permit for shellfish yep. farming. They said there are some environmental impacts here that need to be managed. And you Nathane know, was very proud of that work. Uh, it was not something, again, we were involved in at NFCC, but I, I, I know he felt very strongly about it. And it's, it's, it's really a wide range of issues. Among the latest things that he did, I believe it was just last year, uh, he helped the Chinook tribes, which is a group of four tribes in the lower Columbia River, uh, get the right to petition again for federal recognition. They're one of the really many tribes nationwide that have fallen through the cracks and not been recognized either under formal treaties or other uh, administrative agreements that mean that they're uh, uh, fully is, uh, empowered to operate and to access federal funds and to to manage their own lands and waters and uh, it's it's a huge uh, issue among tribes not all the tribes want uh, these sort of unrecognized tribes seen and, and acknowledged uh, but Thane saw them again as uh, the, the little guys who who fell through the cracks and were getting a raw deal 
and he went to town for them. Uh, and it's just it's it's kind of classic of, of his uh, his career. There was a through line. Uh, he he knew how to swing a broadsword for the little guy. I couldn't agree more. I think his uh, commitment to the public good, if we can say, to the working men and women of uh, the coastline, especially in the fisheries community, his commitment to indigenous rights and environmental law is just a profound body of work over his uh, 50 years as an attorney. Uh, Greg, you knew him as a very close and dear friend. Uh, We all met about the same time, you and I and Thane, when we were doing the Oregon Insider newsletter back in the day. And uh, Greg, would you help our audience understand Thane as a person and what uh, what struck you about him as a as a dear friend and a human being? Yeah, uh, thank you, Peter and Brad. Uh, You know, um, I was glad to hear Brad say that piece about he felt like a, a, you know, a protective older brother because uh, Thane was the eldest of uh, four, uh, you know, men. uh, born in Astoria, as you indicated, I'm the eldest of five. Uh, <laughs> and yeah. uh, so I didn't have an older brother until I met Thane, you know, uh, and I literally met him the weekend I moved to Portland from Tampa. I'd, I'd been a journalist for many years in Florida and a uh, film critic. And then I was a film critic in Europe. And when I moved back from Europe, I didn't want to live in Florida anymore. So I moved all the way across the country to Portland and the second day in town, I had written some plays uh, that had been done in the United States, and and uh, I wanted to see actors. So my wife at the time, who was a performer, said, let's go to this theater, and I'm going to see this woman from the city, and we're going to I want to look at these actors. And I said, okay. And I wanted to look at them, too, in case I wrote a play in Portland, which I ended up doing, of course, writing plays. And uh, Thane was on stage with a bunch of people doing monologues. And he had on a chambray shirt and a pair of jeans and, and topsiders. And he did a monologue about a fisherman's son. He was a fisherman's son, which, again, speaks to his love of of the ocean and of Oregon. And uh, I thought he was just another potential actor. So but he was by far the best in the class, I think, was because it was so close to his heart, you know, and he was such an emphatic and well-spoken person. So I went up and shook his hand. I said, I'm just some playwright who moved to town and and I wanted to see actors. I want to tell you how you were the best of the class. You're really great. He says, thanks. You know, and and I said, my name's Greg Tosian, Thane Tenson. So I, then I leave and I thought I'll never see this guy again. The next morning I was having a cup of coffee at a coffee cart and he, he I felt somebody grab my shoulder and says, hey, Tosian, you remember my name? And there he is in a suit with a brand new uh, vehicle. And I said, where did you steal the clothes in the in the car? He says, no, I'm not an actor. I'm an attorney. <laughs> and and he says, what do you want to do? And I said, I don't know. I'm looking for a job. I want to work in environmentalism. He introduced me to you, Peter. <laughs> yeah. And I worked at the Oregon Insider. That was the kind of guy Thane was. He, Wherever I went in the world with him, and we went to Paris together, and we, uh, we would go to you know San Francisco to see Stanley Kubrick's objects and things, and we'd go to New York. When I did Les Paul, I interviewed him. He went to New York with me and met Les Paul and stuff, and my brothers came up and stuff. And Beautiful. By the end yeah. of uh, the end of a weekend, everybody you knew was thing was their best friend, and they knew everything about them. <laughs> you know, and I think that's what made him such a great attorney, and why, as Brad's saying, why he would defend anyone. He was for the underdog, you know, and he knew everything about them and and what they their lives were like and how hard they had it, and he worked endlessly to protect them and to protect the fish and <laughs> the ocean. You know, I mean. Uh, he made you want to be a better human being, you know, and I think I was somewhat better when I was in his glow, you know. <laughs> uh, he was just one of those remarkable people. I know people have met people like that, you know, and yeah. but you don't always. I, I had the great pleasure of being. He was my best friend for thirty years. Unfortunately, he just died, as you know, of, of a heart attack. But um, and I had already moved to Florida, but he was going to come and see me, and <laughs> you know, and and that kind of thing, and. Uh, you know, but yeah, he's just one of those people who you meet who you can never forget, you know, and is one of the best people you will ever meet in your life, you know. And he was a great attorney, too. And he had a, a great passion for the Northwest and for the, the ocean, you know. And, uh, you know, what else can I say? I mean, um, well, he's clearly he's clearly just a uh, just a legend, you know, as as we like to say here on 
on the American Shoreline podcast, he he he's uh, he was a living legend. Alive, we we it seems everyone knew uh, <clears throat> his power. It kind of emanated from him, and um, you know, this is kind of an interesting uh, show for me to do because of the three of you gentlemen, I have not. I mean, I, I I did a couple shows with Thane, but you know, I just didn't have the opportunity that you guys had, and it's it's just so cool to to learn more. And I would like to go back, if if I may, Peter, and learn a little bit more about this this era in Portland during this Oregon Insider uh, like meeting zone. I mean. Um, what was, what was going on? Like, what was the vibe like on the street? What was, what was Oregon like? What were the issues of the day? And what was Thane focused on at that period of time that, that, that led him, uh, into and around your lives? Well, you know, uh, Greg, I think Thane was on the Oregon Environmental Council Board of Directors at the time. And, uh, is, and, and the Oregon Insider was a publication of this small nonprofit organization covering, environmental regulatory developments in the Pacific Northwest and in Oregon. And uh, it was it was a publication that, you know, I was trying to put together for the organization. It was supposed to be a business development deal. And lo and behold, uh, Thane gives me a call and says, you know, you need to talk to this guy, Greg Tozy, and he's an amazing journalist. He's new to town. He's looking for something to do. And I needed a, a, a uh, some help and I needed a writer and uh, uh it was a gift. I mean, this was the, one of the great gifts I've ever received was uh, my friendship with you, Greg, and and with Thane. And it was just a blast working together at that little publication down in the basement of an old house in Portland, Oregon. And uh, everything from the production to the printing to the mailing. And we did, we did it all. And it was a great experience. Uh, you know, it was a time, Brad, and I think that you're aware of in the late 80s where the salmon litigation and the protection of the salmon fisheries runs on the Columbia River was an active topic, uh, and Thane was highly engaged in all of that work. Uh, you know, I just have so many great memories of that time, uh, Greg, with you and Thane. Uh, one of the great things about doing that little publication is we'd kick off on Thursday afternoon and go down to, uh, what was that bar, the wine bar we used to go down to and get a bottle of... <laughs> <laughs> a well, great, great bottle mean, of red. There was that, but one, but uh, to answer the your uh, co-host's uh, question, there, I believe that Portland. Now, first, Portland is my spiritual home. Uh, Portland and Paris. Uh, I uh, my hometown is Tampa, Florida, where I grew up, and I'm back for my brothers. My parents are have died, and but uh, so I'm back with them, supporting them. I have four younger brothers, like I said, but Portland was magical. In the in the late 80s and the 90s, particularly, uh, they were were famous now for all the bands we had, the grunge bands and the things like that. So Seattle, but it was you could get anywhere in 15 minutes on a bicycle. It wasn't overcrowded. People were you, the bus driver had a PhD. You know, uh, Powell's <laughs> bookstores there. It was magical. Now it's just like Hong Kong. You know, I mean, there are high rises, high rises everywhere, and and of course everybody knows all the heartbreaking problems that Portland's had as a result of the Trump era and, and the protests and Black Lives Matter getting, you know, bent out of uh, out of all, uh, you know, truth about what that movement was about and people blaming them for, you know, vandalism and, and violence, which, of course, they were never responsible for, you know, as a few bad actors. But uh, but at that time, Portland was so open to your point, you know, Peter, uh, Thane introduced me to you the next day when I the, the the second day I knew him, you know, and we worked together uh, and had so much fun. And we used to go to that bar. Remember the bar we used to go to at night? Uh, it was it was great because Portland was really a black white town. You could go into this bar. What was that? Damn. Remember, uh, Jim Nisi played there and uh, we would go uh, the candlelight. Remember the candlelight? Yeah. Yeah. The candlelight lounge. It would be half black people and half white people in America at night in the 80s, which was pretty rare. There was never a single fight that I ever saw or any argument or anything. Everybody, it was a blues club. Great blues club. And it was club. so comfortable, you know, and uh, and world-class musicians. I mean, people who, uh, even when I, you know, went back to France with Thane and stuff, because they're so into, we went to a blues record shop that I know in Paris, and they, they uh, knew Paul DeLay, for instance. 
who was mm. one of the greatest American harmonica players ever, and was a, and used to hold down the jam at the place that Peter and I would go and Thane would go to at night. It was that kind of town, you know. It was it, it was hitting way above it, or punching way above its weight class, you know. And uh, but it was still very doable. Now, of course, it's just a. I mean, it's still a great, great town, you know, but it's overcrowded and, and it has all the problems that cities have now. But it didn't have them then. You know? No, it was before it got expensive and got big. When when I moved to Oregon to go to law school at Lewis and Clark, the school Thane attended as well, there were 2.5 million people in the state of Oregon. I remember being struck by that. And I was coming up from the Galveston-Houston area. There were more people in Houston, Texas, than there were in the state of Oregon uh, it was really an amazing time in that state before it became as popular as it is now. Uh, Brad, how did you meet Thane, and how did you guys begin collaborating and working together? Yeah, well, I'll tell you. It, it was in, in 93 when he won that case, the Marsh decision, uh, where the judge said that the, the industrialist complaining about the fishermen was like the fox complaining about the chickens not being fed. I mean, it was, uh, he had just won that case, uh, it, he and several other attorneys, and he had done this on a pro bono basis for a group of fishermen who, I think it, it needs to be said, that, that these are small boat fishermen who have a multi-generational history of being environmental advocates defending the resource they depend upon for way back before there was an environmental movement. Mm, these wow. people were doing this in the 20s, and they were the, 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 the elders and leaders in the community in Astoria where he grew up. Uh, there were thousands of these guys who made a living on the salmon that they caught at the mouth of the river. And that's the town he grew up in. It was Salmon Town. And you know, it was a, that was the cauldron that built his values. They were very progressive, very environmental, very solid feet on the ground. It wasn't like big, uh, weird dreams. It was just people who, who knew what it took to look after what they loved, and they did it. And he carried that as a legacy. You know, in 1993, when he won this case, it was it, it, there was a, a big gathering, mostly about um, salmon and sorry, forestry and how uh, looking after the forest was necessary to keep the salmon healthy. And, and and a side event for this on the street in Portland, he was giving a talk about this lawsuit with the Marsh ruling that he just won, and he had people in tears of gratitude. The whole crowd. I don't think there was a dry face. And I was there covering it, uh, writing about this whole event for actually a couple of different magazines, for a fishing magazine and for a general interest, you know, a weekly in Seattle. I was a journalist as well for a long time. And uh, I, uh, I went up to Thane and uh, interviewed him uh, for it. And it was an immediate bond. Like, this is, this is not just a source. This is a brother. Uh, this wow. is someone I will know for the rest of, you know, his life or mine. Um, and it, uh, uh, you know, it just stayed that way. Uh, and it was obvious when it, a, a year or so later, I had been assigned by a, a fishing magazine to kind of deal with all the complicated environmental policy issues and write these big, long features about them. And eventually, the owners said, "What? Well, we need to get out in front of these and not just write about it. What do we do? Let's start something. So they kicked in a little seed money. We raised money from environmental foundations and elsewhere, and we started NFCC, the National Fisheries Conservation Center. He was obviously one of the first people we wanted to bring in. And you know, part of his strength that grew on me over the years is that he was a brilliant networker. This guy could, mm -hmm. uh, could find people out of the woodwork all over the place who would help you because they loved him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was he was deep in many many networks and uh he, he was he was a kind of political favorite son of the democratic world in oregon at the time and when congresswoman elizabeth first retired she tapped him and said you you run you get to take this seat wow. it's you know, yours for the taking and you know, I think it, it was an interesting moment because Thane did enter the race and he gave it some thought and um, and he did the work and he walked around beating on doors and raising money and he didn't like doing that. He didn't like begging, which mm -hmm. is what really the real work of being a congressman is. And he really didn't like the reality that dawned on him that this was going to lead to, you know, a bitter 
um, oppositional politics with opposition research people finding everything they could. And it would, it, it, it wasn't really, it, it, he was happy to do that for, for himself, but he was not okay bringing his family through that grinder. Mm-hmm. And he withdrew uh, from that race. It was, it was his for the taking to get into Congress. Uh, it, he would have won. Uh, it was widely agreed and he walked. Uh, because there's uh, there's something bigger than ambition, and that's looking after your kids and your family. You know, he just wasn't willing to put them through it. Uh, yeah, he was he was remarkably fearless in the in the time that we had to spend together. Uh, the 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 he- the weight of the issues that he got involved in and took on on behalf of real people and real communities, uh, where his skill and professionalism. Uh, directly affected the outcome of these people's lives. Thane did that fearlessly. Uh, he was a close confidant, as you said, of of the of the political world, governors uh, in Oregon and Washington, uh, in all of the elected officials were, I think, in his orbit of friends. I mean, Greg, he had a hell of a network. Uh, we were a small part of it. Uh, tell us about about Thane's kind of place in the community that you uh, that you're aware of. Well, you know, that, that's a good point. Uh, and, and like I said, not to be redundant, but I think he was so good about defending people because he truly loves people. You know, we're supposed to, you know, like the Buddha said, the only three things that, that matter when you're dying is uh, they are, uh, you know, how kind were you? How much did you love? And how readily did you let go of those things that weren't meant for you? Mm-hmm. And Thane was shining in all three of those categories. You know, he was kind to everyone. He was. And, and he, he loved seemingly everyone uh, besides the ocean and the fish and the, you know. And, um, and he let go of things that weren't meant for him. He knew what was meant for him. He was an inspiring human being. The mayor uh, at the time, Vera Katz, uh, uh, lived behind him. And, uh, so he knew her really well, but he knew as to your point, uh, Brad, you know, all the politicians, you know, you remember Angus Duncan and Ted Halleck, yeah. uh, you know, Peter, uh, he, I met them through him. Uh, I'm sure you probably did too. And, uh, and, uh, Tom Ranieri, who, who owns the cinema 21, which is a great, one of the great American movie theaters and has been around forever. And it's in Thane's neighborhood. And he said something when I talked to him uh, about Thane, because we talk on the phone still. Uh, we're good friends. And we were talking about Thane, how much we missed him and stuff. And his comment was, Thane, if you had a success, it was Thane's success. He was so proud of you that he, he went around telling people about your success. You know, he, <laughs> they never talked about his own successes. And Brad, I'm sure when he won a court case, he didn't go around telling everyone how great it was that he won a court case. <laughs> you know, it's it's that kind of generosity that's almost uh, well, it's very rare, you know, but it's hard, hard to imagine having that kind of generosity, you know, and uh, he knew every politician and uh, and they loved him, you know, they uh, even the ones that even the Republicans, you know, because they knew he was an honest guy and he cared about people and he, he only ever wanted justice for people. You know, when he was the head of the Urban League, he told me a story about an altercation where he had to report the police when he was on a ride with them as the head of the Urban League that year. And they, they had gotten a little rough with some people on the street who weren't white. And and he Im- immediately reported it to the the chief at the station. You know, it wasn't like he was going to say, well, I'll let that go. You know, it was that kind of thing. You know, he was he believed in justice most yeah. of all, you know. Yeah, uh, I want to I want to. Uh ask a little bit more on what I want to get, I want to dig more into that, but uh, really quickly, just, just for our listeners, you might go back in the archives. You might be interested to listen to uh, Thane shows and Thane uh, was on a couple uh, Friday happy hours. Um, I don't have those readily available. I wasn't able to pull them up, but um, he did do two episodes of changing waters uh, one was with Randy Fisher of the Pacific States Marine Fisheries Commission. And the other was with Tony Johnson of the Chinook Tribe. And it's about uh, bringing back canoe culture. Canoe which is culture. A that really was a, that was really a show. great show. 
Um, and uh, so I would encourage listeners to go back. And if you go to the Changing Waters uh, page and you click on uh, Thane's and Brad's name, it'll pull up a list of all of the Changing Waters episodes and including the two, those two that Thane uh, was the principal host on. Well, and you, you mentioned the shows that Thane has been on, and I do encourage people to go back and listen. And Tyler, as you'll remember, uh, the, the, the case that Brad talked about where uh, Thane and others uh, uh, challenged the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers nationwide permits for aquaculture under the theory that the aquaculture practices in the Pacific Northwest in, in particular were detrimental to the environment. It was the use of uh, pesticides, actually, and herbicides in the base system to control certain things that made it more difficult to grow uh, uh, shellfish in these bays. And, and Thane litigated that with a, a consortium of people. We had him on the AS, uh, on ASP. And it was, again, another case of Thane working his butt off for no money. That was a pro bono case, I believe, for Thane. Uh, just the kind of character uh, he exhibited throughout his life and in trying to make sure that environmental practices were consistent as much as they can be with good environmental practice. I mean, he was, an, he was a hell of a guy. Um, but, uh, Greg, I wanted to reminisce a, a little bit about, uh, about Thane. I know, you know, he was, as an older brother, you mentioned he was like an older brother to you. You were an older brother. I am the fourth of five brothers, so I... I had a domineering older brother, and one of the things that struck me about Thane was just how humble he was. Uh, he was incredibly gracious, and it's not a, a personality type that's typically associated with an older brother. How do you account for that? What made him such a you know gracious man? Well, as an older brother who's a complete SOB, I, I appreciate what you're saying. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but, you know, I believe, well— I'm more a Taoist than anything else, you know. I'm a fallen altar boy. And uh, I, I believe in, in uh, reincarnation. And I think Thane was a very old soul, you know. I, I think he uh, he had such a, a love of the earth, of, of nature, of ecology, and of every human being he ever met that I knew. And I knew him very closely for 30 years. And uh, I, he was just pure love. And that's a very rare thing. And so as a brother, I'm sure he was probably fantastic. Uh, and I happened to have met his brothers. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, it must have been a great thing to have him as a brother. That's all I can say. But he was a great person to have as a friend. You had asked when we were on the break uh, about him in Paris. Uh, I had gotten married in Paris years ago in the 80s uh, when I had an ad agency. And I invited everybody. Of course, I Thane was Thane was the first person I invited, but he couldn't go because he had a case or something like that, an environmental case or whatever it was. And I understood, of course. But he 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 for years he beat himself up about. I wish I'd gone to your. I should have gone your way. I shouldn't have done that thing. You know. And I said, Thane, don't worry about it. So one day he called me many years later. This was just a few years ago, and he says, I, I'm going to Paris with a friend of his, a uh, judge friend who I knew too. And uh, it, you got to come, you know, and show us Paris and stuff like this. And he really wanted me just to go back to Paris because he knew I'd like to go. And we went. And by the end of that trip, everybody that I knew in Paris knew Thane. And we're calling by his first name and saying, please come back. And, you know, it was like and he didn't speak any French, of course. Uh, but it was just, you know, and he remembered everybody's name. And uh, he was just that kind of person. It didn't matter where he went in the, the world. I remember when he went to uh, you may know the guy's name. He went to Norway, uh, and he was Finnish. And he would he went to Finland. He, he traveled a lot to go to places that had, you know, aquatic environments and famous sea towns and things like that. But particularly in in fin, Finland, Norway, and Scandinavia. And he he ended up on that boat that that guy has. I think he's Norwegian. Has that super ecological boat that's cost millions of dollars. He's world famous, and. Uh, and he's like a fast friend of Thane's then, right? And Thane's on the boat. And, you know, it was that kind of thing, you know. It was people. People loved him, you know. You, you know, I one of my people know. I don't care what uh, country they're from. Somebody who's that full of love and warmth and is inter that interested in them 
you know, they just bond with him, and and they did. People all over the world loved Fang. Well, I got to I got to share the story along those lines of his ability to connect with people on short notice and, and become you know kind of a quick a quick and trusted friend. Uh, I was sitting in my house in Austin, Texas, uh, one evening, and I and I think you called me. Uh, from a bar in Portland across the street from Powell's bookstore. And he said, hey, he said, hey, guess who I'm sitting with? I said, what are you doing? He said, Thane and I are sitting here with your brother, Neil. And uh, I said, what do you mean you're sitting with my brother, Neil, my older brother, Neil? And, And my older brother, Neil, had jumped on a BMW motorcycle. It was one of those deals where he was going to travel by motorcycle around the Pacific Northwest from Texas. And it was like, you know, multi month trip. And he ended up at Powell's bookstore and he was listening to, I think there was a reading going on or something. And he ran into you and Thane just completely without any advance notice of who you guys were. And uh, you strike up a conversation with my brother. You got to tell the story. I mean, it's just an amazing coincidence in one you know, night that he, you guys ran it. It was just a remarkable story. Well, it, it does illustrate how powerful his his magnet was for people and um and how much we love you frankly uh, peter because we were all like brothers in those days and uh as your co-host asked about the magic of portland in those days i mean it was the kind of town uh you know i was used to the east coast my father was born in manhattan and i so we went there a lot when i was a kid and stuff and and i've you know lived in cities and things and when I got to Portland, it was Portland was like a big town, you know. It wasn't really like a what I would call a city in a way, but it had more oomph intellectually with Powell's and the concert hall and the musicians and the writers and and actors and stuff. It was really a very educated town with a lot of really nice people, and uh, so it was easy to meet people and stuff. But uh, when they would get in somebody's orbit like when your brother was in town it there was no you know in portland in those days there was no um you know walls for people uh it's much different now of course there are people from all over the world living there but um thane was like the mayor you know of that kind of thing you know the the welcome wagon and uh i remember when i don't know if you met my friends the rock band uh, the guys who slept on the floor of our office peter uh the, the night i met him on a sunday night and my wife and I had gone to see another band and these guys didn't have a place to stay. And I said to my wife and she, I, I looked at her and she goes, they're not staying in our place. We lived in a microscopic apartment in Portland. So I put them on the floor of the, or I put them on the floor of the Oregon insider, the environmental newspaper that you hired me on and let them spend the night. And I went home and was laying in bed at, at three o'clock in the morning. I woke up on a Sunday night and I put this, but total strangers, four guys with a van and uh, all their stuff in my office and I just had gotten the job. You just hired me. I thought, Oh geez, I could, we had an open door policy. Yeah. I could steal all the computers. You know, I did never met these guys in my life. I didn't know their their phone number or address or anything. So I got up at 6am and went and brought them donuts and coffee on a Sunday morning. And they were all sleeping in their sleeping bags, still on the floor. They said, boy, you get up early, you know, but I was so paranoid they were going to rip us off. And but guess what? The next time they came to town, because they were a well-known punk band from Canada. uh, And uh, next time they came through on their way to San Francisco, they said, we're going to go to San Francisco, come back. We want to spend a week in Portland. Can we stay in your office? I said, I don't work there anymore. I I changed jobs. You left and I got another job. I called Thane instantly. I said, hang on. I'll call you back. I said, Thane, and I didn't know him that long. I'd just gotten to town a, a month or two earlier. I said, listen, I met this rock punk band from from <laughs> from Canada, and I can't. I used to let them sleep on the floor of the Oregon Insider, but I don't work there anymore, and my apartment's too small. You want to put up a, a punk band from Canada for a week, you know, so they go to San Francisco and come back, leave their shit at your house? And he goes, um, yeah, send them over. That sounds like fun. And he had a beautiful house in a, in a well, well-groomed neighborhood. Can you imagine somebody's going to put up four guys from Canada, a punk band, and never met them in his life? And, of course, they became lifelong friends. When we were in Paris, they came over, the guy and his wife. They were both musicians, uh, Bees and Cece, with their son Charlie. And we spent a month in Paris, all of us, in this huge uh, pad we landed, a fantastic apartment. 
But it's like that. They were friends of his for the rest of their lives. And they're some of the first people I called when I heard about his wow. death, you know. That does say a lot it, about that period and about that community and the friendships we all had. It was really great. I was so thrilled, uh, Brad, when when I think uh, we started ASPN and I uh, called up Thane and I said, Thane, you, you know, we would love to have a show from the Pacific Northwest. You're so involved right. in fisheries. We would... How would you like to uh, to to do a podcast and maybe host a show? And he said, "Well, I don't know if that's really something I would. I I don't know if I would be any good at that. But I do know this guy Brad Warren who would be really good at that, and I should introduce you to him." <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about about putting that show together with uh, with Thane and how you guys approached it? Sure. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, Thane. It was sitting on troves of stories he wanted to tell, and it it um, it, it didn't take much for him to get excited about it. And uh, he had actually for several years been advocating uh, that we connect with you guys and and look for opportunities to collaborate and and you know aid each other's efforts. Um, and I think in a fundamental way he understood that we as a society, as a coastal society. Um, have uh, a big lift to do uh, to become competent, which we're not now, uh, to manage the kind of changes that are coming our way, that are unfolding under our feet and along the shore as we speak, uh, as a function of climate change. And that's not just sea level rise. You know, it's we're dealing with change in ocean chemistry. We're dealing with thermal change in the water. We're dealing with a complete change in, the, in what it is to live on the shore and depend on the resources that swim. Um, and it's uh, it requires thinking across jurisdictions, thinking across the usual silos. And he got that what you were doing uh, fit that that need in a way that you know we needed to be starting this conversation. And that was really what um, persuaded me to take it on. Uh, I was I was a little bit re reluctant uh, because we had a lot on our plate uh, doing some of the hands-on work, designing projects to learn how to manage this kind of change and uh, how to look after these resources. You know, I, having been a journalist, I knew something about how much work it is. Yes. <laughs> you know, I, uh, I was a little reluctant. And, you know, he was just so enthusiastic. It was like, well, of course we're going to do this. And, yeah. you know, it, it became uh, something that we were able to kind of spot each other and brainstorm a little bit. And, and it's been uh, something that... Uh, really became something I treasure. Uh, I'm really glad to get to work with you. That's Thane's way of seeing the connections. Um, yeah. He did well. He connected the dots, and um, it's a big loss for us, I have to say, to lose the perspective of someone who had such a deep understanding of coastal issues in the Pacific Northwest. And I'm just thankful, Brad, that your show is going to continue uh, even without Thane, I think it's been a great addition to the American Shoreline Podcast Network. You had a great show that came out just a, just a few days ago on upending global hydrogen about the deep ocean carbon sink and its connection to uh, global warming and a possible uh, uh, mitigation uh, technique. Uh, they're really important shows. Uh, and I'm just I'm just so sad to, to lose Thane and just to lose his friendship and uh, his contribution, not just to uh, Coastal News Today and ASPN, but to the community that he served all over the Pacific Northwest and really around the world. Just a remarkable, remarkable man. Um, you know, Tozian, closing thoughts? Well, I just uh, I wanted to thank you two guys. For having the show because um i believe people like thane who who really live as examples uh for us of how to behave you know in the world and how to commit to others to serve other people and i think finally i figured out that we are here to serve others and they're here to serve us and and thane was he was in a hundred percent with that mm. and uh i think it's great that you're featuring him because uh, as people who work in uh coastal matters i don't think they come much finer than he you know no brad what do you what would you like to say wrapping up this uh, tribute to thane tinson our our dear friend 
Well, you both nailed it. I, I'll add one thing that's maybe a sad note, but for, for me personally, uh, there is a sense of being diminished in his absence. Uh, we, we are made greater by people like Thane. And uh, I feel walking around in the world a little bit smaller. Um, and I, I, I immense gratitude uh, to him for having, in so many ways, made it possible uh, for me and for many of us working on this to uh, swing and make a difference. Uh, I mean, he, he taught us a lot about how to do it. His political strategies, uh, simple, direct, his negotiating approach uh, on many issues. Uh, he really was a terrific guide. And uh, you, you lose someone who's that kind of friend and mentor, uh, you feel it. And I, mean, I just walk around feeling sad and small a lot of the time without him. Yeah, we it's a it's just a, a, a real loss, a real loss to the community and to all of us. Uh, you know, Brad, I think, uh, Greg, we've been talking about trying to put together a fundraising campaign and uh, to donate uh two organizations that Thane supported. I know we haven't worked out all of the details, but could either of you speak to that? Because we will put that announcement on Coastal News today about how people can contribute to causes that Thane believed in. Uh, can you comment on that, Brad? Maybe help us uh, along on that path. I know we're going to try to do that soon. I certainly can. The board of NFCC, in fact, met this week and enthusiastically endorsed the creation of the Thane Tinson Memorial Fund for Salmon Conservation. Awesome. Which, uh, will be used to drive some of the cutting-edge work that uh, Thane was helping to uh, uh, to move forward. Uh, an example of this, and there, there are a variety of projects, but one that really didn't uh, cross our transom until December when the research came out showing that uh, there's uh, a, a toxic dust from tires uh, that's getting yep. into salmon creeks and urbanized areas, and it's very lethal to fish. Yep. Uh, it's killing forty to ninety percent of returning adult salmon, um, and 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 young salmon have really high mortality. Um, and this is, um, we are pretty sure, a solvable problem, and uh, we we. Uh, are starting to poke at this. And Thane was uh, was on tap to attend one of the first organizing meetings for this effort, mm. and uh, he didn't make it. Uh, that was the wow. day he died. Good grief. Uh, well, I'm going to publicly pledge right now $500 to that fund, the Thane Tinson, what is it called, Memorial Fund for Salmon Conservation? Uh, you got it. When we get that uh, fund identified and, and the website set up, please let us know. We're going to run that on Coastal News today and keep it on there for a while. But I'd challenge our listeners out there and people who love Thane Tinson to uh, make a contribution in his legacy because uh, he did such important work and the ability to extend that influence and perspective into the world further then his physical life would be a great tribute to him. I know he would love that. Uh, so I'm, I'm looking forward to, I'm, I'm pledging my 500 bucks and uh, uh, Brad and look forward to that uh, growing as a fund to do some good work that Thane would have loved to have seen done. Thank you. You become the, the, the second of the original kind of challenge donors to this. The first is Terry Williams, one of the elders in the Tulalip tribe here who voted for it as a board member of National Fisheries Conservation Center and threw down 500 bucks to inspire others to contribute. So uh, between you, we've just put our challenge funded at 1,000 bucks to match people in the The, market. Uh, I can tell you one of the other things this will support because it was dear to Thane and the moment of opportunity to move this is now. And this is the prospect of dam removal and transformation in the energy system in the Northwest so that the fish can get home. Uh, there's some, there's a whole, new, and we'll talk about this more later. But there is a whole new uh, a moment of opportunity emerging uh, to do something that's been very difficult to do, and, and frankly, I thought was impossible. I did too. Well, it isn't is, that amazing. It is, you know, the Elwa Dam removal in, in on on uh, Wanda Fuca Strait up in Washington State, and there's serious consideration about the dams and what the future of the dam system on the Snake River. These are major, major facilities, but the uh, this would, you know, I always, I've, I thought it was impossible too, and it's actually seriously 
being considered. And it's this is one of the sad things about this. I know Thane would have been so uh, proud to have been part of the process to help that process along. It's a very complex one, and but what a legacy that would be if that those salmon runs up into the Snake River and into Idaho would, could be restored. They've just been decimated by the dam system. You know, the interesting thing is, and this is a, this is part of what's so great about this, is that even with the dams operating and killing them by the millions, uh, those fish are being recovered. The Endangered Species Act is not a graveyard. It is a working tool of recovery and enormous improvements are being made even with this huge load of mortality imposed on that stock. And what's going on now is an opportunity to take out the four really big uh, and not very productive in terms of energy, mm -hmm. but big salmon killing dams on the lower river. Wow. And it replaced that power with you know, wind and solar produced in the inland northwest in that region, so people benefit from it there. They're not getting abandoned, and uh, reorganize the grid so that it can handle this, uh, you know, variable source renewable power. Right. This is this is actually a key step that the northwest must undertake in order to achieve climate goals. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it, uh, we, we've really got to go this Damn. this route of a reorganized grid that can go deeper green, and. Uh, the, the fact that this now has support from, you know, a Republican, Mike Simpson from Idaho, uh, who's pitching this uh, in Congress, uh, constructs the, the, the framework where a bipartisan consensus could conceivably be built. You know, it's a long road. It's going to take some consensus yeah. building and negotiation. Thane would have been a gift to this, and he yeah. will be from his grave enthusiastically cheering this forward no kidding i you know what i just missed the show that you guys would have done on that topic uh final word tozian why don't you bring this to a close <laughs> well uh i have to agree with with brad uh that i was really very uh sad and i'm still very sad about thane's passing uh i lost him and my best friend in Europe, uh, who I lived with in Paris for years, and uh, I'm dedicating my my book to them, but uh, and my parents who were gone. But the other thing about that about missing him so much, Brad, is the way I've gotten over it is to uh, to commit to uh, living in honor of Thane, you know, uh, and my buddy in Paris because they were two of the most generous people I ever met in my life and. And uh, Thane gave me Portland and this guy gave me Paris as far as just opening them up for me and completely selflessly. So I, every day when I get up, I look in the mirror and I say, you know, I'm doing it to honor the, the departed, you know. And uh, I think that's what you're talking about, you guys. with the. And thank you for the fun, Brad. I'll, I'll donate to it, too, of course. And I, we can do that by what? Just going on to your website? Yeah, is it yeah, there's a PayPal uh, button to donate there, and it's it's not stipulated what it's for, so you, you'll want to add a note, and then we, we will have the, the, the specific thing to, to donate button up shortly. Uh, but in, in, in the meantime, we have a general one, and you can add a note. Great. Uh, and folks can find the website. You go to fisheriesconservation.org, fisheriesconservation.org to make a contribution to NFCC, you can use the general button now and soon to have a special contribution for the Thane Tinson Fund. Uh, I know I'm going to do that. And uh, Brad, for all the work that you do and for being a contributor to ASPM, we just want to thank you and, and Greg for your friendship over the many years. I uh, sure wish you were, we were closer together. I miss seeing you every day and uh, love you guys. And, uh, Ladies and gentlemen, Thane Tinson, a dear friend of uh, Coastal News Today and ASPN, uh, former co-host of the uh, Changing Waters podcast with Brad Warren. Uh, it was a privilege to, to, to have him on the network, and, and we're going to miss him.
Singing, Mama, now.